0: Well, today is a bit of a different day. It's October 1st, if you can believe it. Uh, that means 75% of this year is gone and never coming back. (laughs) 75% three quarters of this year is gone. We've got a quarter left and I was meditating on some things over the last day or two. And the Lord reminded me about, uh, what was going on in our church a year ago. Right now we crossed over into this new season, the fall which is personally one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, the Lord gave us a word about that time last year and he called it October overflow, October overflow. And that came back to my heart again. And I got a sense that that was needed to be our focus again. Now, if you were with us last year, you might remember we took the entire month of October and in our giving time, as we worship the Lord with our giving, we had a specific focus and an assignment, and that was our media missions ministry. And we launched into that last year, believing God for some big things and the ability to take what goes on here at Legacy and not let it stay here, but get outside these four walls and start start helping people in places all over the world. And um, you guys gave towards that and money came in, not just from the church, but from partners and and the Lord did some amazing things. And so that account has been full now. And uh, when we get to the first of next year, I'm excited to report to you and show you some of the things that your giving has accomplished over this last year, really what it set us up. To do uh, moving forward. This year, I sense a similar assignment in my heart that we are to direct our giving, our worship through our giving in a specific area. So I want to take a few minutes this morning, talk about that. And it's going to be our focus through the month. And we're going to receive our offering today at the end of our message. So we're doing things a little bit differently. But we, just like we've done already this morning, we endeavor to flow with the Holy Ghost. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, open with me, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 16. We ended our series on supernatural acceleration last week, and we ended it right here in Mark chapter 16. And just because we ended our focus on that, I don't want you to uh, let go of it. I want you to keep your faith active on it, continuing to believe and expect to see supernatural acceleration in your lives. And this is the verse we ended up on, and I want to use that as our foundation moving forward. And it's in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. This is just just shortly after Jesus had risen from the dead and right before He's ascended into heaven. It says in Mark 16, 19, then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with... Now this word, them is in italics. So you know that the translators put it there at their discretion, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. We talked about a couple of words that we see here in this verse. And I want to make mention of them to you again, the Lord working with really, if you take that word them out, then that verse reads like this, the Lord working with and confirming the word. So the Lord worked with the word. What else did he do? He confirmed the word and he did it with accompanying signs. Other translations say signs following. We talked about two different words here. This phrase, the Lord working with. That's one word in the Greek language and it's that word synergeo and it's where we get the word synergy, which literally means to work together. And we, we talked about how there's really only so much you can do on your own. I can do on my own. But when we put effort and energy and work together, then what we're able to accomplish increases exponentially. And that happens just with two normal folks like us adding our strength to it. But what did the scriptures say? The Lord was working with them. This is super being added to natural. And you see that because What it resulted in was him working with synergios, synergistically working with the word that they were preaching, and it produced something. And what it produced is far beyond what you can produce on your own, far beyond what I can produce on my own, and way out beyond what you and I can naturally do together. It took the Lord working with them to produce signs, wonders, miracles that followed the accompanying of the word that followed the preaching of the word. And the other word we looked at was that word follow or accompany. And it was that Greek word, apokalutheo. Uh, Try that one on, apokalutheo. And it's where we get the I have no idea where we get that word. But what it actually means is not just to follow, but it describes how closely, how closely we talked about how we can be followers of Jesus. And you hear that phraseology used a lot. Now, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. Okay, well, that's great. My question is, how close? How close? I mean, if you're headed to Denver and I'm going to follow you, you can leave an hour before me. I'll, I'll meet you up there. You go ahead. I might leave today. Maybe I'll leave tomorrow. Well, that's following, but it ain't that close. Or we can pull out of the driveway at the same time and I can ride your bumper from here to there. And that's following close, isn't it? That's what he's talking about with these signs, not just following the preaching of the word, but following how? So close. Preaching signs that confirm it, preaching, healing, preaching, deliverance, preaching, peace, preaching, joy. And that's him working with the preaching of the word. So we talked a lot about this last week, but what I want to do today is back up just a few verses into this chapter and get some context and look at where, what this came out of, what this came out of. Put some things back in context. Has anybody ever taken you out of context? Anybody ever quoted you, but got the context of it so wrong that it made you say something you didn't say? Nobody has ever had that happen to them more than God. For 2,000 years, people have been doing this to Him. Now, not all the time and not everywhere, but, but what I'm saying is so many questions would be answered if people would just read a couple of verses before and a couple of verses after. Answer a lot of big theological questions that people have thought, well, we'll just never know. Actually, if you read like two verses before and after, it, you will know, it's right there. And you and I both, if you've got children, you've said these words before, put that back where you found it. (laughs) Haven't you? You've told your little one, baby, put that back where you found it. You're walking through the store and you look and they've got something in their hand and you think, where did you get that? Put that back where you found it. And it's not just when they're little. I now have a 13 year old (laughs) who sits right here on the second row with us on Sunday mornings when he's not serving. And he is famous in our household for putting things in the grocery basket that mommy did not sanction, daddy did not sanction, and we didn't see it until we got to the checkout stand. And it's like, well, where did Cocoa Crisp come from? We didn't. The, do we need six gallons of ice cream, buddy? What's going on here? What do we say to him? Put that back where you found it. I think sometimes if you and I would really listen to the Holy Ghost, you know what he would say to us about some of these scriptures? put that back where you found it. You learn a lot about it. So let's put these back where we found them and let what's going on around it confirm to us what we've already said. Back up several verses and look with me. Same chapter, Mark 16, verse nine. So this is right after Jesus has risen from the dead and somebody's going, well, it's not Easter, is it? You know, we don't have to just talk about resurrection on one day of the year. We can talk about it a lot more than that. Mark chapter 16, verse nine. It says, now when he, Jesus rose early on the first day of the week. So Jesus is an early riser. He rose. Come on. (laughs) Jeez. Help a brother out. When Jesus, I think I tried that joke at Easter. It didn't work either. We'll just, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Make note of what condition these guys are in. Mourning and weeping. This is grief. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, He appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. Now you remember this, don't you? This is out of the book of Luke chapter 24. When these two disciples, just just right after Jesus had risen from the dead, they're walking the road to Emmaus and Jesus walked up next to them. And I'll paraphrase, but he was like, what's up with you guys? What's wrong? And they said, haven't you heard? (laughs) Heard what? Jesus. He's, 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 he's being kind of funny here with these guys. I'm sorry, heard what? Are you the only one that hasn't heard about Jesus and what happened to him? We thought he was coming to save us and we thought he was going to restore the kingdom, but they killed him. They killed him. And they said, you know, the ladies, they said he was risen, but they didn't believe it. Mary Magdalene the first person that Jesus revealed himself to after he was raised from the dead, came and told the disciples, he's alive. He's alive. Thank God for women preachers. Thank God for women preachers. I mean, what if this woman hadn't preached? Mary Magdalene is the first, she had the first Easter Sunday message that was ever preached. And she came in and she preached it, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And they're mourning and they're weeping and they did not believe it. And then Jesus reveals himself or he begins in conversation with these guys and and they don't recognize him. They don't see him. And you know what he said to them? You see this, don't turn there, but you see it in the book of Luke chapter 24. He said to them in verse 25, oh foolish ones and slow, listen, slow of heart, To believe, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets that what they've spoken ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded to them and all the scriptures concerning himself. And then they got to where they were going and they said, come in and eat with us. And the moment he broke bread, their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from him. And they looked at each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? They saw him. So look at what happened back to Mark chapter 16. He appeared to these two as he walked with them, went into the country. They went and told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. This is actually the third time that resurrection had been preached to these guys. Jesus himself preached it to them before he ever died. You go back and look at the things he said and it's like, man, he could not have made it any more clear. He said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to take me. I'm going to be crucified on the third day, risen again. They got resurrection preached to him. But then once he was crucified, they thought it was it. They're mourning. They're weeping. Nobody's looking with expectation, anticipation. Oh, he said he's, he's coming back. He said he's being resurrected. No, they're weeping. They're mourning. It's over. It's over. I can't believe he's gone. Mary comes bursting in the room. He's not gone. He's alive. Did they believe it? No. Nope. They just kept right on weeping. I want you to notice the connection between unbelief and grief. Grief and unbelief go hand in hand. And then, so now they've had resurrection preached twice to them. Then the third witness comes in. These two guys who Jesus revealed himself to, they say, he's alive. He's alive. Did they believe them? No. So you get to verse 14 and look at what it says. Verse 14, later he appeared to the the 11 as they sat at the table. And what did he do? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. Now, these guys are sitting here weeping, they're mourning, they're depressed because it's all over. How could it have ended this way? And you would think that Jesus would, would have been a great opportunity for him to just kind of peek his head around the corner. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look who's back. <laughs> right? Right? Who's got two thumbs and just rose from the dead? This guy. Come on. What's up, fellas? This has been a great opportunity for rejoicing and partying and celebrating. But when he came in, what did he do? Rebuked them. That's a strong word. That's a strong word. And you look at other accounts of this. Jesus evidently didn't use the door like everybody else does. He because of this glorified body came into this room some other way, but instead of a big smile on his face and hugs all around, he rebuked them. He rebuked them. He rebuked specifically what their unbelief. They didn't believe it when he said it. They didn't believe it when Mary said it. They didn't believe it when the other two who saw Jesus on the road said it and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. These two things go together. Just like grief and unbelief, grief and hardness of, or excuse me, unbelief and hardness of heart. He rebuked their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, verse 15, listen to the rebuke. I can almost guarantee you, you've never heard these words as a rebuke. Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've always heard that and it's been referred to as the great commission. You know what it actually was? The great correction. The great rebuke. Are we reading scriptures here? When Jesus said, go preach, I don't think he said it with a smile. I think it's, what are you doing sitting here? I told you I would be raised. She told you she saw me. They told you I was raised and you still sitting here weeping. You're still sitting here grieving. Is your heart this hard? Get up and go. Go preach. Now listen, listen to this correction. Go preach, and what is it he's supposed to preach? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news to every creature. Verse 16 He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Don't you know when he said, He who does not believe, Who's he referring to here? A bunch of people who until just about 30 seconds ago did not believe. Aren't you glad Jesus chose to reveal himself to these, these 11? Oh, thank God. If they hadn't believed, if they had lived the rest of their lives and not believed out of Jesus own mouth, what would the result have been? Condemnation. Damnation is what one translation says. He said, now you get up you believe yet? You, you, we good now? You believe? Okay. Get up and go and go into all the world and preach it, proclaim it, declare it, the good news to every creation. And here's what's gonna happen. Those who believe and are baptized, they're gonna be saved. Those who don't believe, which tells us there will be those who do and those who don't. Those who don't believe, he said, will be condemned. Now verse 17, and these signs. So see, we're putting these words back where we found them and the context here is signs. These signs will follow. There's that word again, akulutheo. This time it's par-okalutheia, which really is in essence the same thing. Par is that Greek prefix, prefix para. Uh, when, when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit, he was talking about the, the para, paraclete, the one who's called right alongside you, the one who's called to be within you, to be there when you need the help, help on demand, that standby. And he's talking again about how close these signs are going to follow what? When we read it a moment ago, later in the chapter, just a few verses, it's signs following preaching. Here he's talking about signs following believing. So we get signs that follow closely behind the preaching and signs that follow closely behind the believing, which makes sense, right? What do we want as ministers, as preachers? We want people to not just hear it. We want them to believe it, receive it, right? And when they do, there's that synergistic uh, energy, us working together again, the preaching of the word works together with faith in the word. And it produces these signs that will follow those who believe in my name, they, the preacher? No, the believer. The believer will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. You know, Satan is referred to as that serpent, that snake. And they're going to cast him out. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. He's talking about supernatural strength in your physical body. It'll by no means hurt them. They, preachers? No. No. Believers will lay hands on the sick and they, who? The people that's being prayed for, the people who believe what's being preached, what's being proclaimed, what the believer is saying. I want to talk this morning about going into all the world. And, and that in essence is the title. So if you're writing this down, I want you to write it down. Go into all the world, but I want you to write it like this. G period, O period into all the world. And I'm going to explain that to you. This is Jesus instruction. But how many of you would agree it was not instruction that was just limited to the 11 or 12 that were in the room that day and heard it? In other words, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. This is the assignment on the life of every believer to go into all the world, into all their world. You have the same assignment that I do all of us do in that sense that we are all called to go into all the world and do what? Preach. Now people get nervous at that word right there. And they're like, well, no, you're the preacher. I ain't really a preacher. So you're telling me this is Jesus talking to a select few and that this message being spread over all the world is up to just a handful of people. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way that a handful of men and women in the fivefold ministry, that it's all up to them to preach this gospel in all the world. It's just too big a job. No, the scripture says that the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers we recognize it as people who stand on platforms, stand behind pulpits, preach like that. Part of their job is the equipping. Of the, saint. the equipping of the saint for, Ephesians says, the work of the ministry. Well, what's the work of the ministry? Well, it's a lot of things, but in essence, it's going into all the world. The work of the ministry is to go into all the world, which would include, you know, where we are locally. We're part of this world. Go into your world. Go into the world but the big assignment on these platform ministries if you will for lack of a better word is to equip. You need some equipment. You got a job to do, a God-given job to do, but you need some equipment to get the job done. So if the job is go into all the world and preach, then let's talk about a couple of the things that you need. Let's talk about some of the equipment that you need to go into all the world and preach. You know what you need? Let me give you this first one. This is not intended to be a complete or comprehensive list, but this is very simple. What you need is a message. How can you go preach if you ain't got a message? Now, again, when I say message, our immediate thought is, maybe something like what you see us do on a weekly basis. Somebody who spends time days, weeks, hours in the word, study the word. You outline a message, point one, point two, letter a, you know, so on. That is a message and that's fine. Uh, just a few days ago, I was going back through notes from the last 12 months and the Lord has given us some good things. Church, he's given us some good messages. He talked to us for weeks and weeks about what's right with you. Remember that? I hope you remember that. That wasn't that long ago. (laughs) Talking about his righteousness and you being made the righteousness of God. Before that, we spent, I don't know what it was, 10, 12 weeks maybe, on how to find your place in the body of Christ. How we are many members but one body. Man, I was going back through last year and one thing after another, he talked to us about being perfected, established, strengthened, settled. And I'm looking at this going, these are good messages, Lord. You've done good on these, Lord. Woo! But I'm gonna tell you something. You may never make an outline. You may never do Roman numeral one letter A. You may never draft anything like that. You may never stand on a platform. You may never, may never stand behind a pulpit. You might never write a book. But that doesn't mean you don't have a message. You've got a message. He's given you a message. As a matter of fact, he wouldn't have told you to go preach if he hadn't given you a message. The Bible says, we'll put this on the screen for you. Look at this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19, that is God that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's your message. Every believer has been given a word, the message of reconciliation. When did God give you that message? When he reconciled you to him? what am I telling you? I'm telling you your message is your own, your own testimony. Your message is what you saw God do firsthand in your life. Because who can argue with that? Hmm? People can argue with some of the things I say to you all day. Believe me, they do. They want to. But who's going to argue with a firsthand eyewitness? I'm sorry, I was there. You can try to tell me there's no God. You can try to tell me we don't know if His will is good. You can try to tell me He's mysterious, and sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. You can try to tell me sometimes He makes people sick, but I'm sorry, I was there when He healed me. So, I mean, I was there when He saved me. I was there when He delivered me. I was there when He healed my babies. I was there when He brought peace into my home. So, I'm a firsthand eyewitness, and I can't be talked out of it. So... That's my message. You know what I mean? That's your message. He's given you the word of reconciliation. In other words, he's given you the message of you can be right with God again. That's your message to this whole world. Go preach it. I mean, in a minute, but go preach it. (laughs) Preach what? You can be reconciled to God. That's a simple message. You think you could handle that one? God's not mad at you. He's a God of love. He's good. He's faithful. He's kind. He watches over his word. He'll perform it in your life and he wants to be reconciled to you. That's your message. And that's the message he gave you when he did that for you. I'll tell you every one of us has a mercy story and I don't know how many messages I've preached in my life. I started preaching. If you listen to my parents, I started preaching. when I was three years old, more on a consistent basis later in life. Uh, But in my early 20s and Sarah and I got married and we've been doing this our entire married lives now. So, I mean, it's got to be at least 20, 25 years. I don't know how many messages I've preached in that amount of time. But without fail, there is one message that comes out of my heart in my life that stands above the rest. And it's the testimony of God's mercy on me when he brought Sarah into my life. And that message to this day, after 16 years of marriage, I still can't get through that message without crying because it's proof. I wake up every day next to the greatest display of mercy that has ever been shown to me. She's his mercy on me. She's his, good, his goodness towards me, his faithfulness towards me. You know, we've preached that message all over the world. We've preached it across the United States. I remember we preached our testimony in Australia to a group of college students. We've preached our testimony in South Africa. We've preached our testimony in India. I've preached it to you. And again, I can't get through it without just my heart welling up. It's so real to me. I was there. It's not somebody else's story. It's mine. I was there. You have a mercy story. I know you do. Because every one of us needed that mercy of God and still do. That's why it's new every morning to us. You got a mercy story. So don't ever think I don't have a message. No, you have a message. I remember working with a young guy once. Well, not young, he's about my age. And um, he was in ministry and gone through Bible school, listened to a lot of wonderful teachers. And he just had a lot of... He had a lot of word in him and a lot of desire to go preach in places and preach the the, the deep revelation, the things that he'd been taught and the things he'd heard. And that's a wonderful thing. But I also recognized something about him. And it was how the Lord had so miraculously delivered him out out of a life of drugs, out of a life of alcohol, addiction to alcohol. He was running from God so hard and so fast and the Lord got a hold of him and changed his life completely, radically. Next thing you know, this guy's in Bible school. Next thing you know, he's serving in churches and working in ministry. And I worked so hard to tell him. I was like, man, I know you got the word in you and I know you can preach. I know you can preach some great things, but what he gave you was a testimony. Don't forget your testimony. Take your testimony. Go to prisons. Get into jails find men who are just on death's door, making bad decisions with their lives. Go rescue them from that with your testimony, with your mercy story. You know, he did it to a degree and saw good things from it. But I know we all have a temptation to think, could God really use this little little story of mine? I mean, what is my life? That's your message. You've been given. A message. Somebody say, "I have a message." message. Say it like this: My mercy story story is my message. message. Amen. So the first thing you're going to need, if you're going to go preach, is a what? You're going to have to have a message. You're going to have to have something to say, and God's given you something to say. Let me add something to this. You know what else you need? Not just a message. That message needs to be anointed. You need some anointing. How do I know that? Because Jesus needed the anointing. And if Jesus couldn't do what he did without the anointing, (laughs) who do we think we are to think we are going to get anywhere preaching the gospel apart from the anointing? The Bible says the anointing, this is the book of Isaiah chapter 10, says the, the burden shall be removed and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Burdened and yoked. That is the way people throughout the entire world, in every culture, are living life. Burdened and yoked. This is what the enemy does to mankind. He works tirelessly day after day, week after week, century after century to build such a big burden on the lives of people. Put burdens on whole families, on whole cultures and burden them and yoke them to a place where they don't even realize they're burdened. They don't even understand they're living with a yoke. They just call it living. They just think mama lived with it, daddy lived with it, generation after generation after generation. I guess this is just life. And I tell you, you really want to frustrate the enemy? Preach the anointed word. Because he works for years and years and years to build a burden in one moment. One moment under the anointing, the burden can be removed. The yoke can be destroyed. And Satan's standing there going, what'd you do to my burden? What'd you do to my, I worked so hard on this. It was the anointing. And we're called to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus needed the anointing to preach the gospel. You need the anointing to preach the gospel. I need the anointing to preach the gospel. Any preaching done apart from the anointing is powerless, produces nothing. And at the very most, at the very best, somebody hears you and leaves impressed with you. That's the greatest you can hope for if you're going to preach apart from the anointing. But what they don't experience is the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord's on me, He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, which ought to tell you, poverty is a burden and a yoke, and Jesus preaching the anointing has the ability to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenheartedness is not a gift from God, it's a burden, it's a yoke, and the anointing can lift it and destroy it. Recovery of sight to the blind, blindness, either natural or spiritual, it's not a blessing. Do you know how many people have thanked God for that blessing? It's not a blessing. It's a burden. It's a yoke and the anointed preaching of the word. The anointed preaching of the word will remove that burden, destroy that yoke. These are signs, aren't they? Signs following the preaching, signs following the believing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus needed the anointing. I need the anointing. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Huh? Oppression, burden, yoke in Jesus. He got sent with the anointing to remove it. And he did it through the preaching. He would preach, signs would follow. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So what do you need? First of all, if you're going to go preach into all the world, we're going to have to have a message. Second of all, what are you going to need? That message is going to need the anointing. The Bible talks about a man named Saul who would be the first king of Israel. And without getting into the whole story, you read about him and you find out there was a lot he had going on on the outside. The Bible tells us he was wealthy. He came from a wealthy family. Also tells us, He was handsome. The Bible calls you handsome. You handsome. Says he was head and shoulders taller than any man in Israel. Tall, dark. I mean, Middle Eastern, right? Tall, dark, handsome, rich. I mean, this guy is every church girl's vision list. And yet when you read what happened when Samuel saw him, the prophet saw him and the spirit of God told Samuel, This is the one I've anointed to be king. Samuel revealed that to Saul. You know what Saul said? Who am I? He used these words to describe himself I am the least in my family, and my family is the smallest in the tribes of Israel. The moment he came face to face with the call of God on his life, what was in him came out I'm the least, I'm the smallest. So when you see somebody that looks like they've got it all going on, just remember, you don't know what's happening in the soul. He revealed what was going on. I'm least, I'm the smallest. Why are you talking to me like this? Well, what ended up happening was was Samuel anointed him, poured that oil of anointing on him, flowed over him, and he said to him, you're going to be turned into another man turned into another man. As a matter of fact, listen to it from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Maybe we'll have this for you on the screen. Verse 6, it says, this is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you're going to prophesy with them. Talking about the school of the prophets, you're going to prophesy with them and be turned into another man. This is a guy who was so shy, so insecure, so introverted that he revealed it and said, I'm just the least, I'm the smallest, I'm the most insignificant. And now Samuel's saying, because of this anointing, you're going to be prophesying? It would be like me finding the shyest person in this room, dragging you up on this stage, shoving a microphone in your your face and saying, now prophesy. Oh, you talk about sweat running down your back. You wouldn't want that. This guy wouldn't have wanted that either. However, this anointing came on him. AND HE WAS TRANSFORMED BY IT, TURNED INTO ANOTHER MAN. AND HE SAID, NOW THIS IS KEY TO OPERATING IN THE ANOINTING. HE SAID TO HIM, LET IT BE WHEN THESE SIGNS COME TO YOU THAT YOU DO AS THE OCCASION DEMANDS, FOR GOD IS WITH YOU. DO AS THE OCCASION DEMANDS. HERE'S WHAT YOU NEED TO UNDERSTAND ABOUT THE ANOINTING. WHEN WE TALK ABOUT IT, WE TALK ABOUT IT IN THE SAME BREATH AS THE HOLY SPIRIT LIVING IN US. But there's a difference between the Holy Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit coming on you. And this is one one of the things you see throughout Scripture. It'll talk about how the Spirit of God came upon this one, how the Spirit of God came upon that one. And there's an easy way to remember the difference. The Holy Spirit is within me for my sake, but He comes upon me for your sake. And that same Holy Spirit is within you, and He's within you for you lead you guide you direct you instruct you correct you all of these things are for you strengthen you encourage you reveal Jesus to you this is for your benefit but he said you're gonna step into an occasion that demands the anointing not just the anointing within you the anointing upon you and he said when you step into that occasion do as the occasion demands this is when the anointing comes on us As you go into all the world and you preach the gospel, just remember, you don't wake up anointed. And your spouse knows that. Your family recognizes that. But all throughout your day, throughout your week, you step into occasions. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, He'll lead you to somewhere. He'll put you in a place, maybe in a place You hadn't been before or a place you didn't know you were going to be. And all of a sudden, you see somebody. And it's like you can see beyond just what's going on in the surface. And the Lord illuminates to you, maybe not every detail, but you just recognize they need something. So you step into that occasion and you open your mouth to preach the gospel. Or I'll say it like this, you open your mouth. To tell your story, to tell somebody about the goodness and the faithfulness of God and watch out because when you step into that occasion, guess what's coming? The anointing and you are going to say words you hadn't thought about saying. It's going to come out with such clarity. It's going to come forth with such unction. It's going to come out with the anointing and you're going to walk away from that going. I didn't even know I knew that. Now, it didn't require you to stand there and tell the cashier, if you got your Bible with you, open with me, please, to the book of. If you're taking notes, write this message title down. Meanwhile, you got 33 people in line behind you going, is this guy paying with a check? What Why is this taking so long? Didn't need any of that. It, it just was an occasion that demanded your story, your testimony, and you opened your mouth and you said, hey, I just, I just feel led to tell you today that God loves you. He loves you so much. I've watched Sarah do this over and over and over again. Grocery stores, clothing stores. And I've seen her do it when, how do I say this? The person behind the register is obviously confused, perhaps about who they are what they are. You know what she does? Just opens her mouth. Not in any kind of judgment. No condemnation. Because that ain't good news. The gospel, the good news is he loves you. Just want to let you know he loves you. She just went into that person's world and preached the gospel under the anointing. Amen. If they believe it, what will happen to that burden? It'll be lifted. If they'll receive it, what will happen to that yoke? Completely destroyed. Amen. You need a message. And you need that message to be anointed. And that anointing will come every time you step by faith into the occasion that demands what you've got on the inside. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me give you one more thing. We've talked about two things that you need if you're going to go into all the world. And I'll be honest with you. I've seen people young in ministry, and maybe I've been guilty of this myself, get those two things or believe for those two things or receive by faith those two things, because it does take some faith to believe God for a message. It takes some faith to believe God for the anointing on that message. But I've seen people, and like I said, I've probably done it myself, take those two things and think, well, I've got it, let's go. Let's G-O into all the world. Not realizing there's something else you need. We've got these two very significant, very important, very spiritual things, but you know what else? You need some natural stuff. Are you listening? If you're going to go not just into all the world, anywhere. If you're going to leave the house in the morning, there's some natural stuff you need, is there not? If you're going to take one step out that front door, you need some natural things. There are some natural things that you and I need to fulfill this assignment from heaven to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. You might think, well, all I need is my message and all I need is the anointing. All right. What you going in? How you getting there? What you wearing? <laughs> Please tell me you're wearing something. You need some natural stuff. Now there was a day in uh, Jesus ministries in the book of Mark chapter six, the Bible says he called the 12 to himself and he gave them power over unclean spirits and he sent them out to go preach. He said, go preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, preach repentance. He told them something in that chapter though. He said, but don't take with you a bag. He said, don't take with you. Some translations use the word a script or I think new King James says a knapsack. (laughs) So whatever that is, don't take it with you he said, don't even take two tunics. So there you go. You got to have at least one. Okay. (laughs) At least one. But he said, don't take two. And you could look at that and you could draw the conclusion. We'll see there preacher. See that you don't need all that stuff. Well, hold on because Jesus brought this whole thing back up to them in the book of Luke chapter 22. Look at this with me. Luke 22 verse 35. Jesus said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, he said, did you lack anything? And they said, what? We lack nothing. So evidently the point wasn't don't take it. The point was trust me to provide it. Come on, are you listening to me? And he was saying to them, this grace that I've called you in, This anointing I'm calling you in and sending you out in, not only will it give you a message, not only will this grace provide you with the anointing, this grace will give you some of the natural stuff you need too. This grace will put money in your pocket. This grace will put food on your table. This grace will put clothes on your back. He said to them, did you lack anything? And They said, nothing. So evidently, all along the way as they're preaching, it's coming to them supernaturally. You don't go for days and weeks and months. I don't care how spiritual you are. You got to eat. You got to eat. It takes money. It takes money to get out the door in the morning. You came to church today. Thank you. I'm so glad to see you. It took you some money, didn't it? You have to put some gas in that car. That costs money. The car itself costs some money. The clothes on your back cost some money. These are all natural things. And yet Jesus said, the Lord knows you have need of them before you ever even ask for them. Three things you and I need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, we need a message. Yes, that message must be anointed. But yes, we need some natural things. And so look at what he said to him. Did you lack anything? They said, we lack anything. Then he said to them, Okay. But now, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. I thought you said, don't take it. He said, well, now I'm telling you to take it. Well, which is it, Jesus? Take it, don't take it. It's the same answer to a thousand questions. Be led. The point is he knows you need it. And if he tells you to take it, take it. If he tells you to trust him for it, trust him for it. He's telling you, though, you need it. You need it. Now this bag or money bag is a funny word, especially in our culture. Now it's, it's literally the word purse. He told these guys, don't forget your man purse. You need your man purse. Take some money. Somebody say, take some money. Take some money. Now is money a natural thing or a spiritual thing? This is a natural thing. You need some natural things. Take your man bag. Then this word knapsack. He said, He who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. Look this up. This is a reference to a leather pouch specifically for food. Is food a spiritual thing or a natural thing? It's a natural thing. And yet he knows you need it. He knows you need that fuel. He knows you need that energy. He knows you need what food provides for you. So he said, take this leather pouch, put some food in it, take your money, take some food. He even went on to say, And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So evidently Jesus was good with his followers packing some heat. He gave his disciples their concealed carry permit. I'm not trying to get political on you, but I'm I'm just reading the Bible here to you. Jesus said, take a sword, take some money, take some food take some protection. Take some security. Well, God is my refuge and I just trust him. He said, take some security. You need to be smart about some things. You need to use some wisdom concerning some things. These are natural things to go G period O period into all the world. You not only need some spiritual equipment." You need some natural equipment. Now let me tell you in my mind what G and O represent. You hear me talk about this, that in our church accounting, we have several accounts. And when we talk about our projects, our Jubilee project, that is a specific account. And anything you give that's designated to that gets used for that. We don't use that to do anything else. We don't use that in any other area. It gets completely 100% dedicated to what you designate it for. And that's the law. We're required to do that. When we, uh, if we were to receive an offering specifically for a minister or a ministry somewhere else, I legally cannot and will not take anything out of that and use it for me, use it for Sarah, use it anywhere else in the ministry. How many think that's good? How many think that's a good thing that I'm not taking your giving that you designated something else and putting it in my pocket? Okay, I'm glad we're in agreement on that. But we have several accounts in our um, bookkeeping. We have an account we call our God account. And that's where we take a certain percentage of everything that comes into the church And we set it aside for our giving and we don't do anything else with that, but give and it goes outside. Or if there's somebody in need and the Lord says, I want you to use that for this, it's all designated and dedicated to giving. But we have this other account in the church and we call it gen ops, general operations, G O. Our general operations is how we go. It's how we go in this church, and it's how we keep going in this church. And I have found, after looking at this general operations account and everything it covers, we've had these accounts for years and years, even before we started the church, this is how we've set ourselves up. And we endeavor to operate out of that general operation account. And man, you and I, we can get excited, right, about debt freedom, paying something off. Glory to God. We can get excited about expansion, build out this lobby. Let's, let's expand our worldwide outreach. And all those things are wonderful. They're exciting. I got to tell you, GenOps ain't that exciting. The stuff that goes on in that GO account is, is not so glamorous. I thought I might just share with you this morning. Can you give me just another minute here? These are some of the things that, that come out of the GO, GO, general operations account. They're not glamorous, but I'll tell you this, we don't preach without them. We can't go anywhere without them. And I bet you function the same way. There are some general operations that you need in your life and they are not glamorous. They are not all that exciting. But you don't go anywhere if they're not in place. Here's one of the big things that comes out of our general operations account, our payroll. We've got, I think, about 14 people or so on staff now. And they like getting paid. We like paying them. We like paying them big. We want to pay them even more. But that comes out of that general operations account. Now you think, well, 14 people, that's a, that's a lot of payroll. Maybe we don't need that. Maybe just me and Sarah could do this. Ha, 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 ha. If this whole thing was up to me and Sarah, oh, you maybe saved some money. We would be in the middle of a dirt field right now trying to preach to somebody and you wouldn't be coming to church. This staff, these people, we're thankful for them. We're thankful they love us, but man, they love God and they love you and they serve you. And Jesus himself said that they are worthy of their wages and worthy of double honor. So we take out of that general, general operations account, their payroll, not that glamorous, but without it, we don't preach without it. We don't preach. Here's something else that comes out of it. You ready? This is exciting. Who's ready to shout about some utilities? Come on. I was kidding. We're not shouting about utilities, gas, electric, water, not that exciting. And yet we don't preach without it. I'm thankful we have running water in this building this morning. I'm thankful that the, the heat works. I'm thankful that we're getting some AC throughout this place. I'm thankful that the electricity is on today this would be a much different service if we had no electricity in here this morning. Not that exciting, but we don't go preach without it. Here's something else. Property maintenance. Just saying it's boring. Property maintenance. (laughs) And that's everything from light bulbs to landscaping. We've got a plow truck that we use in the winter to get rid of the snow on the parking lot and lay down some salt so you don't slip and crack your head. It ain't that glamorous, but you thankful? Yes. I'm thankful for property maintenance. <laughs> no offense, Tyler, but I mean it's it's needed, man. We we need it. We don't preach without that. I don't preach without you, bro. That's my point. We don't preach without it. Insurance. <laughs> now <laughs> Now, if you're in the business of insurance, no offense. We need you. We don't preach without you. Glamorous. Needed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's one. All this comes out of our general operations, children's and youth ministry. Amen. So when we do these youth events, and our team hosts your teenagers and they have a great time to provide food and games and fun and all that. Well, it's gotta come from somewhere. It comes out of these Go funds. This is how we go preach to teenagers. Our children's ministry. I'm so thankful for our children's ministry and the things that are needed for it. I mean, you know what? They need coloring sheets. They need crafts. They need games. They need snacks. Boy, do they need snacks. (laughs) And you would never think that animal crackers are so vital to the preaching of the gospel. (laughs) But there's a reason your little ones are not on your lap right now, and they're being well-loved, well-tended to, well-taken care of, and well-preached to in another room (laughs) with animal crackers. (laughs) But all this comes out of that G-O, GO. This is how you do that. Here's another one. Hospitality expenses. That's a fancy way of saying soap (laughs) and cleaning supplies and brooms and mops and sprays and toilet paper. (laughs) Toilet paper. You literally can't go without. Sorry. 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 Somebody say too far, too far. But I'm thankful. I'm grateful. All these things are helping us do one thing go preach. Go preach. We've got other expenses. We've got office supplies. We've got paper, printer ink, paper clips. Who would think paper clips could help you preach the gospel? Those are some of the most anointed paper clips you've ever seen in your life. Thank you, Lord, for our paper clips. Here's one that comes out of our general operations account security. What did Jesus say? You got a sword? I don't mind telling you that there are a number of our ushers this morning who uh, have a sword. (laughs) I don't want that to make you feel uncomfortable. You don't need to feel uncomfortable. They're trained and all of it is for your safety and protection. And on top of that, we have a police officer. Have you met our officer that's coming week after week? Well, We bless him. We pay him. And I just love that there's an officer's uh, police car sitting right out there. So if anybody ever walks onto our property with some wild idea that they're going to hurt somebody, they're going to think, you know what? Maybe not here. I think I'm going to... Got a sword? So that comes out of that go. Go preach. We've got administration expenses. Here's some exciting one. We've got internet communication expenses. Oh, we've got... uh, Uh... website maintenance, uh, database hosting fees, and you need your SSL certificate. Everybody knows you need your SSL. What is it? I have no idea, but we need one. and We pay for it. We pay credit card fees. We pay e-check fees. We pay bank fees. We pay payroll fees. We pay lawyers fees. And I told you one of the biggest things that comes out of that go, general operations, is our giving. Our giving. And the Lord has always been so faithful to us, and provided for us. And I, I mentioned this to you just a few weeks ago, that as we dug into this lobby and got ready to expand it, you know, you've probably experienced this before. But you start digging, and you uncover stuff. You uncover things where, well, like, well, that wasn't in the plan, and oh, but we need to do it. And 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 I don't mean just, oh, that would be nice to do. I mean we've had. Uh, inspectors tell us, if you don't do this, we're going to shut the building down. Okay, so let's do it. And how many think it's the Lord's house? It ought to be in top notch. We ought to do some things excellently around here. We ought to not just see what little we can get away with. That's something my mom told me all the time as a kid. Jeremy, don't see what little you can get away with. Do your best. And so we apply that same principle. We're not looking to see what corners we can cut, what little we can get away with we're endeavoring to be wise. We're endeavoring to be smart. We're not trying to overspend by any stretch. We want to be faithful. These are, these are your seeds that you are sowing and doing our very best to not be careless, to not be uh, frivolous with it, but to be very watchful. And since we dug into this project, expanding the lobby, some of the things it uncovered before we ever even got to building out the lobby Uh, The building really needed an upgraded HVAC HVAC system. We had heat, but it wasn't great. Um, We had nothing in this room when we got here. So, Sarah, do you remember what we spent? Was it in the neighborhood of how many hundreds of thousands to to do this? $600,000 to heat and cool this room. The whole building? No, just this room. Seven units, I believe, something like that. It's helping us preach. I have found people can listen better when they're not going, oh my God, hurry up. Oh, shut up. And they're not going, oh Lord Jesus, when is this going to Helps us preach. It's preaching the gospel. AC units, preaching the gospel. Well, the building needed it. Our children's classes have needed it. Our offices have needed it. So we committed to it. And that was not included in what you gave in that awesome expansion project. So we've committed to another almost $300,000 to heat and cool the rest of the building. But all of it, I spend it with great joy. What did Paul say? I gladly spend and be spent for your sake to preach the gospel. How many think our children ought to come to church in a place that they love? That they're not sitting there going, oh, shut up, hurry up. Well, that's what we're doing. The inspectors came in and said, your fire alarm system is so out of date and is, it, it is not safe. You need a new. one. so we committed to it. And somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 100, I think, 80 to $100,000 in that. It's helping us preach. I mean, if they shut the building down, who are we preaching to? I'll preach to Sarah. She says she likes it, but we got more There's more assignment. We got to go into all this world. So just those two things alone, you know, what are we talking? We're pushing up towards half a million dollars, 300, 400. And man, it it starts to get up high. And yet the money's been there, but I had it in my heart. And I believe I got this from the Lord that all this month, what we're going to do and what our offerings are going to be dedicated towards is a strong G.O., Because the stronger that G-O is, the more we can go, the more we can do, the more, check this out, we can give. That's the big one to me. I told you just a few months ago, the Lord put us strong in my heart in, in an instant in a service to stand up. Is in a service I was in, with Brother Andrew Womack, and he was presenting the vision of their property and their student housing. A lot of you care students know exactly what I'm talking about. And the Lord said, "Go put a hundred thousand dollars in that." Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So stood up, committed to it. We did it. You did it. You did it. Those were your seeds. That's what you sowed. And every bit of it came out of that Go account. Now, in a time when we're building and expanding and enlarging, you might think, well, 100,000 could go a long way. But let me tell you what can go even further. The harvest on 100,000. So that's what we're believing God for. Musicians, you guys begin to make your way back up. This is October overflow. And we're going to, as the Lord leads us, focus on this all month long. Now, I'm not going to take probably not going to take uh, every message and talk about this operations account, but I'll keep it in front of you. I'll keep reminding you this is where our faith is. This is where our action is. And um, I'll just say this and leave it, leave you with this. The Lord's got on my heart, the double. I've been looking every day. I mean, and I mean every day for months at scriptures throughout the word that promise the double, the double. God gave Job twice what he, re- what he lost. He restored to him twice what he lost. Elijah a- Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of the spirit that was on him. God said to his people, instead of shame, I'll give you double honor and you will rejoice in your portion and I will give you double in your land. He spoke to his people and said, he said, return you prisoners of hope. I'm about to give you double, restore double to you. So every day I'm looking at the double every day. And so I think it'd be a very easy thing for the Lord to take what we've got. And I don't want anybody leaving here thinking, oh my God, we're about to go broke. No, 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 no. We're just doing what the Lord tells us to do. But I think it would be a very easy thing for him to double, double you. Amen. Double the outreach, double the going. Amen. 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 We got a message. We've got a message. And he has been so faithful to anoint that message. Now what do we need? Just some of these natural things. Bag for the money. Some food on the table. I told you animal crackers. (laughs) Amen. All these natural things. And he knows what we need before we ask. Glory to God. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.